open our Bibles to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, chapter 34. I'd like to read three verses only, verses 1, 2, and 3. Psalm 34 and verses 1, 2, and 3. Some uh, months ago, I spoke from verses 1 through 16 of this particular chapter on a far different theme that I want to deal with tonight. But I want you to think with me especially of the truth that is suggested in verse number 3. Let's read together Psalm 34 after we have had a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, may the Word of God go forth in clarity and simplicity and yet above all power by thy Holy Spirit. We stand tonight and sit here together tonight as needy creatures. We need thy touch. Without you, we can do nothing. Without you, we are nothing. And without thy divine power upon us, we can accomplish nothing. So we pray that you would anoint us tonight and grant that as we listen to thy word and think about it for these moments, that we'll realize that, Lord, you're the one who's doing the talking to us from the pages of thy word. Now guard our minds from anything that would distract from the truth sinking into hearts and we pray that you'll be glorified and indeed magnified in these moments. Stir our hearts now and may victories be won in all of our lives as you give us guidance and as we willingly follow it. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 34 and we read verses 1, 2, and 3. The psalmist records these words and he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Would to God all of us could say that. Amen. I'll bless the Lord at all times. Not just some of the time. Not just in the good times. Not in the prosperous times. But I will praise, bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I fear that too often grumbling and griping is in our mouth rather than words of praise. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Notice this verse. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. There's a call for plurality in this particular verse that we should magnify the Lord with one another, that we should indeed exalt his name together. Teamwork is what it takes to get the job done. And if there is but one person doing it, I guarantee you the fullness of, and, the, and the result will not be as God would have it be. In this third verse, the psalmist says, magnify the Lord with me. I want you to think with me for a few minutes on the thought of magnifying the Lord. Magnifying the Lord. Just what does that mean? How do we magnify the Lord? Are there ways whereby we can do that? The word magnify, if you were to look it up in your dictionary at home, you would find that the word is defined as to increase the apparent size. Or it may be to enlarge. When we magnify something, as we use that word commonly, it is to enlarge that that we're looking at, perhaps through a microscope or a telescope. Or it means simply to cause to seem greater. 
That is, it appears greater than it actually is. Over in the New Testament where you find this word magnify, it comes from an unusual word and the word is megaluno, megaluno. And the word simply means a great moon or great shining. I think you can hear that in the word, first part of the word, mega. We talk about uh, a megapolis. We talk about megabucks. Uh, we talk about, uh, ter- uh, use that term mega in the sense of that which is uh, great. The word luna that is added to this word in, uh, in uh, alchemy or in medicine, it refers to that which is silver in its appearance. Uh, Luna was, back in Roman mythology, the goddess of the moon. And so what we have in this word is simply the idea of the shining forth or a reflection of the sun. And that's what the moon is. The moon in its fullness gives a great reflection of the sun. Now, in relation to what the psalmist has said in this verse, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Are we to understand that God is small and that we in turn, by something we do, we make God bigger than he is? Well, the whole story is this. We do not make God any bigger than he is. Indeed, God is the greatest of all beings, And we would not suppose that the psalmist is saying here that he is small and we need to enlarge him uh, in our lives. God indeed is great. But his greatness is often not manifest in us because of our inability to rightly reflect him. In other words, we have made this uh, allusion before. The moon is but a mere reflection of the light of the sun. It has no light in itself. It reflects the light from that center of our solar system, that star we call the sun. Now the moon sometimes does not give forth a a full reflection. In reality, it never gives a full reflection of the brightness of the sun. Uh, You can, in other words, you get out on a full moon here in Georgia and look up and uh, you're not blinded by the brightness of the moon. But it does give a certain amount of the reflection of that light. Other times you may go out and if the moon is full, you're unable to see it because the clouds that cover and, and obstruct the vision. And then there are times when the moon has an eclipse. And an eclipse of the moon occurs when the earth comes between the sun, the rays of the sun, and the moon. And oftentimes that is the very problem as far as our being good reflectors, brilliant reflectors of magnifying the Lord. The world comes between us and God. And that's the case in some of our lives right here tonight. If our lives were not not obstructed by the world, our interest in the world, the cares of this world, uh, the things of this life, we get so absorbed in them that the world and its way comes between us and our glorifying, our magnifying God. Now the psalmist then is simply saying God is great 
and let us together see to it that his greatness is not minimized or made less because of our failure to reflect him. We are indeed made in the image and the likeness of God. And in that very thought of the book of Genesis, the idea is that God made us that we should show forth the likeness of God to those upon this earth whom we meet and whom we know. God is great. And the psalmist over and again, time and again in the Psalms, makes mention of the greatness of God. Psalm 48 and verse 1, and the psalmist says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Again, he said in Psalm 96 and verse 4, the same thing. For the Lord is great, and greatly to be praised. And then in Psalm 145, at verse number 3, the psalmist there says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. In other words, we cannot fully contemplate and we can't fathom the depths of the greatness of our God. Now the Bible talks about how we can indeed magnify God and the word magnify is used sometimes in the scripture interchangeably and it is translated glorify. So when we're glorifying God, we are magnifying God. Do you see what I'm saying? In the Psalms 50 and verse 23, a verse I've quoted often, and the verse says this, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth, that is, magnifies me. In other words, how necessary it is for you and for me right here in this room who call ourselves Christians to audibly and openly give praise to God for that that he is, all that he has done for us, but often how silent we are, how silent we are out there on the job, in the home, in the school, in the office, even in the church, how silent we are in giving praise to God and as a result, We, according to Psalm 50 and verse 23, we are not glorifying God. We are not magnifying God. For example, let me say it like this. When there are blessings that come in your life, or as far as that goes, things that we might not count as blessings, for the Bible tells us we ought to give thanks always for all things in the name of the Father. We ought to give praise for all things, but especially when we've experienced some achievement in life, or we have experienced some measure of success, do we openly praise him for that? Oh, listen, too often we become a modern day Nebuchadnezzar. You remember what old Nebi did back in, the, back in the scripture of Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 30? After he had built that great city of Babylon and the hanging gardens, the strutting peacocks that I think really reflected the attitude of old Neb's heart. Yet the Bible records in verse 30, uh, Nebuchadnezzar looked about the city and here's what he said. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? 
then whatever happens in your life, we need to learn to give thanks to God. Praise him for it, uh, for the blessings that you have, the food on the table. That's what we are doing. We're magnifying God. We're saying to those gathered about the table, I want to acknowledge that all that I have, even that's on this table, comes because of the good hand of God upon me. The automobile I ride in. And listen, I ride down the road in my old truck with 172,000 miles on it, and I have real reason to praise God. Every time it cranks, when it gets there without breaking down, I just say, thank you, Lord. Praise your name. You're keeping this thing running. And so it is. We ought to give thanks to God. Acknowledge that all that we have indeed comes from him. Why don't you, when you go home tonight, just kind of walk around the house and say, Lord, I want to thank you for my house. I'll sit down in the chair and just say, dear Lord, I thank you that you made possible for me to have a chair. Or when you drive home tonight, give thanks to God for that. And even when your wife gets in your hair, thank God for her and thank God you got enough hair for her to get in. The whole story is praise God for whatever comes in your life. Oh, if we would learn, folks, if we would learn that secret. We would not be down half as much. We would not be defeated half as much if we had just learned that whatever comes, we magnify God and we give praise unto him. Uh, I've, I've referred often to the time when I had that flat tire and it was late for a meeting. I got out and began to fuss and gripe and growl and the Lord really got on me about it and I knew I was doing the wrong thing, so I just ran back and hollered, praise your name. I thank you, God, for the flat tire. And it wasn't five minutes after I got a spare on, and down the road I ran into a big accident there, and the Lord just seemed to whisper and say, see there, if you hadn't had that flat tire, you'd have been right in the middle of that. And I had another reason to praise the Lord. So don't be ashamed to magnify God. If you have good health, praise God for it. If you're sick and you have a hospital to go to, praise God for that. The whole story is praise him. And the psalmist says, whoso offereth praise magnifies me. Now, knowing that God is great, knowing that very fact, how do you and I show the greatness of God unto others? Well, let me begin, first of all, five things I'll leave with you. Number one, we must be persuaded within our own hearts of the greatness of God. Now, I believe the reason most of us do not praise him, we're not really thoroughly, sincerely, fully convinced that God is great. In other words, there must be that inward persuasion that indeed he is great. In other words, God must be, watch this, great to me before I will present him in greatness to others. In other words, if God is not great in my own thinking and in my own heart and my own life, if I'm not persuaded of that greatness and and the goodness of God, then indeed I'm not going to do much in convincing others of the same greatness of our God. The effectiveness of Paul's ministry, for example, I think really goes back to the heart of what I've just said. Paul was a persuaded man. And by that, I mean that he was convinced in his heart of the truth that he proclaimed. Listen, a man will never be a good salesman anywhere unless he is persuaded that the thing he is trying to sell the public is 
what it says it is. And I believe if you and I are convinced that God is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do, and he has done what we say is done, if we're thoroughly convinced of that, it will make us, as Paul, persuasive in our appeal and in our reaching out to other men and women. I like what he said in Romans 8, 38. He said, for I am persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. No wonder Paul talks so much about God's love. No wonder he talks so much about the security that was his as a believer, for he was persuaded, inwardly persuaded, that God could keep him. I think what he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12. And Paul said, I know, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That is that day when he stands before the Lord. So Paul was a persuaded man. I want to ask you tonight, folks, are you really persuaded that God is who he says he is? Are you persuaded that God can do what he says he can do? Are you really persuaded of the truth that if men receive Jesus Christ, they can be saved and that heaven can be their home instead of hell? Then God help us if we're persuaded inside to magnify the Lord, to exalt his name with others, to praise him for that wonderful greatness. Oftentimes you hear people in dilemmas in life, distresses of life, defeats in life, and they're chained by sin, and yet we say nothing to them. If that's the case, I fear that we're really not persuaded that Christ is the answer. So Paul is persuaded of that. No wonder he could live, uh, leave home. No wonder he could leave a promising, uh, uh, ambitious future as a, as a uh, Jewish rabbi, a Pharisee, a political figure. No wonder he could leave all that. He was persuaded that Jesus Christ was all that he claimed to be. So first of all, we must be persuaded of him. Now the second thing we need to do in order to magnify the Lord is to personalize him to personalize him in our lives. The word personalize, and the dictionary again, means to make personal, to make personal, or to personify. And the word personify means to be the embodiment of, to be the embodiment of. In other words, if we're to magnify the Lord, the Lord must become personal in our lives. I fear that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, to many of us is nothing more than a name we hear at church. But what about the personal aspect? Is he a personal Savior? Is he a personal God in your life? Have you in your life that very experience of the being the embodiment of Christ? You say, is that possible? Well, I want you to listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. Turn with me. Philippians chapter 1. And look beginning at verse 19. And we'll read down through verse number 20. Now listen carefully. And here's what Paul declares. You'll get the point. And he says, verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also, get this, Christ 
shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And the next verse, for to me to live is Christ. I want to ask you this question. What is it for you to live? Is it Christ? Is, does it mean as a father, a husband in your family, does it mean for Christ to live? We're talking about the embodiment, the personalizing of Jesus in our lives. Becoming, as it were, a very representation of the Son of God. Now, in order for that to happen, we must experience indeed what Paul referred to in Galatians 2 and verse 20. And he said something like this, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I, but get this, Christ lives in me. That's the embodiment, the personalizing of Christ. Now, let me ask you this. When somebody looks at your life, look up this way. When somebody observes your life, do they see Christ in it? Do they see the Christ in your life? In other words, we cannot magnify him if there is not something of the likeness of Jesus in us. And that's exact, back to our illustration of the reflection of the rays of the sun by the moon. In other words, it's a reflection of those same, that same light. And so then, uh, this must be an embodiment, a personalizing of the person of Jesus Christ. And the only way that can happen uh, is for me to take my position uh, on the cross, my old self that was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. And if I maintain that position, uh, then Christ can be seen in my life. Otherwise, all that men are going to see is Walter Burrow. All they're going to be reminded of is me. But if I take my position uh, of death, the death that I died as far as the old man is concerned on the cross 2,000 years ago, then it is Christ living in me. It is not I doing the living. It is Jesus living through me. And so the scripture, I think, that records John's words, very fitting, John 3, verse 30. And John said, remember, he must increase. But that can't happen unless he said, but I must decrease. Who's in the place of priority in your life? You or Christ? Your things are the things of Christ. So Paul is saying again simply, if Jesus, if God is to be magnified in life, we must personalize him, make him the very part and parcel of our being. Not only that, but if we're to magnify him, we must publicize him. We must publicize him. Uh, let me say, tell you what I mean by that. Say here is a very ingenious writer. He writes one of the most splendid books that a person could ever hope to read. But if the man does not publish that book, no one is ever going to read it. The whole story is this. Often we, like a writer of a beautiful and readable book, we're saved by the grace of God. But we fail to publish the Christ the Savior who is in our life, and as a result, no one out there knows anything about him. In other words, how are they going to know, Paul said, without somebody to tell them? How are they going to know about this life of Christ unless we are willing within ourselves to share that by word of mouth, by lip, and as well as by life? Paul wrote in the Corinthian letter, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3, and here's the way he said it. 
But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. He again said, you are, you're, you are the epistles of Christ, written and read of all men. In other words, God didn't save you to just set you over in a corner and pull the blinds down and cut you off from the world. He wants men to hear of Christ as a result of your magnifying him. And what better way could we magnify him than by literally publishing the truth about him? We say, I'm not much for talking. We got a supply of gospel tracts out in the foyer. And it doesn't take a smart fella You don't even have to have a college education. You don't even have to graduate from high school, grammar school, or kindergarten. All you do is put some over your pocket, and the opportunity that God gives you, just pass it to somebody. You'd be surprised how little we're magnifying God because we're not publishing the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like a little verse over in the book of Mark, chapter 5, at verse 19 and 20. You remember that old demoniac of Gadara that our Lord cast the demons out of. And after the Lord had healed him, he followed Jesus down to the ship and said, let me go with you. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to permit you to go. But he said, here's what I want you to do. Read it, verse 19 and 20. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Let me ask you a question. Do men marvel because you've told them of what Christ has done for you? How long has it been, honestly, since you just flatly, frankly told somebody what it meant to you to be saved? Have you shared that? Now, let me tell you something, folks. If we don't start publishing it, how in the world are men going to hear God has not commissioned an angel up there to heaven, in heaven to come down here and proclaim the gospel to your friends. I hear oftentimes people praying, oh, Lord, send your Holy Spirit down the street there over Charlestown and, and uh, uh, Lord, convict him and save him. And yet we're never, never willing to become the vehicle for the Holy Spirit to move through. You see, that's sometimes foolishness. We're, we're shirking our own responsibility when the Lord is saying, you go, you go. And I, I wonder sometimes if when God's here to pray, and, and it's not wrong to pray for unsaved people, certainly don't misunderstand me. And only the Holy Spirit can draw a man, but God's plan is to use the testimony that you give of the word of God and the grace of God to arrest some heart. How many times I've shared with people in traveling here and there on airplanes and uh, places of business. uh, I once sat down in a banker's office up in Tennessee and shared with him just simply what Christ had done in my life, how he saved me. And after about five or 10 minutes, I'd made it rather lengthy. Don't normally do that, but I did in this case. And when I got through, this banker sat across the desk just weeping, his tears running down his face. And he said, preacher, that's my story. He said, I'm in the same shape you were. I'm a religious man. I've tried to live a decent life, but I've never trusted Jesus Christ with my heart as my personal savior. Oh, you see, when we publish Christ, when we let it be known, if we don't do it, let me ask you this, who is gonna do it? 
Who is going to tell about salvation? Who is going to have a testimony of salvation by grace if the person who is saved doesn't do that publishing? I meant to bring, and I left out in a truck, so maybe you're spared of this. I wanted to read to you the testimony of the old Negro slave preacher, John Jasper. It is literally one of the most thrilling testimonies I've ever heard in my life. John Jasper was a slave. He was owned by Mr. Roberts, an owner of a tobacco factory in Richmond, Virginia, way back in the 1800s, around the time of the Civil War. John Jasper was a man who was seeking something in his heart. And uh, he said one day as he is sitting on the park bench, he heard somebody talking about Jesus and something welled up in his heart of guilt, he said, and misery. And he said for days, for six long weeks, he had sought to know the peace that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. And John said he was a tobacco stimmer. He pulled the stems out of tobacco leaves. And he said, one day he's there at his bench in, in Mars Roberts' old uh, tobacco f- factory. And he's pulling the stems out. And he said, I saw in the conviction. He said, I tore up more than I, than, I, than I stem. And he said, I tear them up, the leaves, just throw them under the counter. And he said, uh, all of a sudden, he said, uh, I realized that Jesus, God's son, died for me. And he said, uh, I just cried out for mercy to God. And he said, uh, God did something in my soul. And he said, the heavenly light broke open inside of me. I knew that I'd become a child of God. And he said, I looked down the line of the table and there's an old fellow that had been praying for me and talking to me about Jesus. And he said, I couldn't help it. He said, I left my workplace, went down there. And he said, I wanted to whisper to him that I found the Lord. But he said, when I opened my mouth to whisper, he said, it came out a shout so loud, you could have heard it clean across the James River. And he said, it stirred a commotion down the factory. Reckon he said, the superintendent, an old mean looking fellow came in and won't know what in the world's going on. And some of the old slaves in there said, why, John got religion. John got religion. And so the superintendent said to John, you get back to work and forget this religion business. And it wasn't for long till Mr. Roberts, up in his office, heard the commotion. He came out and won't know what's going on. And they told him John Jasper had gotten religion. That's the way they expressed it. Mr. Roberts said, send John up here to me. Jasper said he went up there trembling and fearing. He knew Mr. Roberts was going to get rid of him. But he said, when I walked in his office, Mars Roberts asked me to sit down. He said, I sat down. He said, John, what's all this racket? And he said, Mr. Roberts, he said, I've been seeking in my soul for six weeks to know Jesus. And he said, down there while I was working at that bench, I opened my heart and Jesus came in and he saved me. And he said, Mr. Roberts, when I told him that, big old tears came up in his eyes. And he got up from behind his desk and walked around and he said he took his hand out. And you can imagine this in slave times. And that old gentleman, the white man, took his hand out to John and said, John, I want you to know, I know what you're talking about. I've been saved too and you are my brother in Christ now. And John Jeffers said, my soul was filled with such joy. I turned and put my arm up against the wall and rammed my fist in my mouth to keep from shouting out loud. And then he said, oh, he said, Marge Roberts, I just want to tell everybody. I want to tell everybody, not only you, but everybody in the plan. And said, Mr. Roberts said, John, you go back down there in the factory and you take time to tell everybody in that factory about you getting saved. And he said, when you get through there, take the rest of the day off. And he said something like this, John, 
fly like an angel. Go where you will. And tell men and women of the grace of God that saved you. John Jasper become one of the great, became one of the greatest preachers in that part of the world. Presidents literally came to hear John Jasper preach. He was a renowned man. And here's a man who indeed published it. Folks, that's what I'm trying to say. If we don't publish it, if we don't tell it, if we don't fly like an angel, if we don't tell it out, oh, we're not going to be magnifying the Lord. God help us to publish it. Deuteronomy 11 verse 18 and 20 tells Israel, uh, the words that I've given you said, uh, uh, talk to your children when you're sitting down, when you're rising up, when you're at the table, wherever you are, publish it, publish it, tell it, wherever you are. So for to magnify God, we must publish it. Not only that, to magnify him, we need to patronize him. Not only publicize him, but we need to patronize him. In Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 3, let me ask you to look at that. Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 3, follow it in your Bible. And Paul writes and he says this, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. The word followers literally means imitators. Be imitators of God as dear children. Now watch, he first talks about the attitude of God. We're following. What is God's attitude? Look at verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. The attitude of our heart ought to be one of love. And what is love? A funny feeling? No. It's an attitude. It's an attitude that says, I'm willing to give. I'm willing to give of myself. I'm willing to commit myself. And that's what he's saying. Be a follower of God. In other words, pattern your life. Patternize him. And in patterning your life after the Lord God in love, indeed, that is a magnifying of him. And then look at verse 2 and 3. But he said, or verse 3 and 4, pardon me. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Let me say this. The word foolish simply implies that that is without God. The fool has said his heart, there's no God. He's not talking about uh, funny things that we talk about or humorous things. He's talking about that kind of conversation that excludes God. Nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient but rather what? Giving of thanks. Remember? Whoso offereth praise glorifies or magnifies me. So he is saying be a follower of God in your attitude as well as in the actions of your life. I think what he's saying is simply this. Make Christ your hero. I want to ask you this. Who's your hero? Who do you pattern your life after? Who do you seek to imitate? The Christian indeed, the very imitation uh, that uh, ought to be, uh, that, that uh, imitation of life ought to be that that uh, speaks of the Lord. A comedian once said this, I think one well, of these fellows, Rich somebody, I've forgotten his name is, uh, that fellow that mimics everybody. And he said, listen, the greatest compliment ever paid to a man is when you try to imitate him. What a compliment. And what a compliment it is to our Lord when we seek in our lives to be like him to be followers of God. And as you're a follower of him and your life and attitude and in action portrays the Lord Jesus, that magnifies God. I want to ask you, 
Is that the attitude you have? An attitude of giving? Attitude of purity in life? An action of purity in life? Do you magnify God? And finally, if we're to magnify Him, we need to patronize Him. To patronize Him. And the word patronize simply meaning to give support or protection to. Uh, a patron is a guardian. One who supports. And uh, in other words, uh, the Lord's, uh, I think he's saying simply this. If you want to magnify me, patronize me. That is, give to him. Give to him. When you, when you patronize a store, you're giving. You're, you're bringing your business to that store. And so if we're to magnify him, we need to patronize him with our time. Let me ask you a question. Look up here. How much time actually do you give to God every week? Oh, we got time for everything in the country, but so little time for him. So little time even for his word. So little time for his church. So little time. We got time to do everything in the country, but no time for him. No wonder our lives fail to glorify him. Give to him your time. Give him your talent. What about your talent? The abilities God gives you. Give it to him as God makes that opportunity available. And all there are opportunities every day you live. All oh, that we'll do so. And not only that, but give to him your treasure. Give to him your treasure. And in that we're magnifying, we're glorifying God. In other words, uh, the word patronize or patron, as I said, not only means supporter, but it means a protector. One who stands up as a guardian for the Son of God. Let me tell you this and I'm through. Man was seated on an airline. And across the aisle from him, two businessmen were talking. As they were talking, the man next to the aisle uh, where this fellow sat next to the aisle on the other side, the fellows were talking and he overheard their conversation. He said seemingly every, every sentence had something of the name of God or of the Lord Jesus, but used in a very profane, blasphemous, cursing way. And this fellow sat there with a heart that was broken, a child of God, plane landed and he waited for this fellow to get up and go out and then he walked out behind him and as they were walking down the, the uh, corridor he just simply walked over to him and said sir uh, may I say just a word to you and the man said why yes sir he said you sat across the aisle from me didn't you he said yes sir he said you know I wasn't trying to eavesdrop on your conversation but he said I couldn't help but overhear you uh, you were talking about one of the best and dearest friends I have ever had and the man turned kind of pale and then he's blushed and he said, uh, well, I'm sorry. He said, I didn't realize I was talking about someone you knew. By the way, he said, who, who, who was your friend or someone? He said, the, the Lord Jesus, the one who gave his life for me on the cross. And I was an old sinner and he loved me and died for me. And he said, uh, I just want you to know it hurts me deeply. When I hear someone talk about him in derogatory terms and profane terms, like I heard you, he wasn't ugly, but all to magnify Christ, to patronize him, to stand up for him. The world doesn't care how much it cusses and snorts and lives like the devil. Why should you and I be embarrassed? Why should we be timid to speak to others of Jesus Christ? God, help us to do it. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's pray. Father, 
We acknowledge thy greatness. We acknowledge your goodness. Thank you for all that you are and all that you have done for us and all that you mean to us. And Lord, we do in our hearts, deep within, I believe, in the heart of every one of us is saved. We want to magnify you. But somehow we just never get down to the business of really doing it. Maybe it's because we sometimes have failed to realize how we do it. Teach us, Lord, to praise you. Teach us, Father, to personalize Jesus in our lives. To not think of him as some transcendent God who is beyond the reach of men, but a Savior who lives in our heart. And may, Lord, somehow we let you live your life through us, this life of mine, with such a deceitful, depraved nature, a nature that loves sin. Lord, this nature has nothing to offer to this world. Lord, I pray that somehow you'll teach us by the Holy Spirit how to maintain and take our position on the cross. That, Lord, though we live, yet that it would not be us, but it would be Christ living in us. And Father, may we indeed be publishers of the gospel of the grace of God. How many people in this county without Christ? How many people next door, down the road from us? How many people, Lord, that we bump into downtown and we talk about so many things and we publicize the election, we publicize political issues, we publicize the weather and the sports. But oh, teach us, Father, to publicize Jesus. And as we do, may we experience what they did when that old demoniac began to publish abroad what you had done for him. May men marvel. And may they realize that in that that is given, that, Lord, there is hope. There is an answer. There, there, is, there is salvation. There is peace. There is forgiveness. Help us not to have this wonderful book that you've written in our hearts and we fail to publish it. Lord, may we patronize you. Help us to give of ourselves, our time, our talent. May we reserve nothing. Help us realize only what we give is what we keep. Lord, we never have that that we try to keep. It soon fades away into nothingness. And I ask you that you would just help us to magnify you. Be seen in our lives, Lord Jesus. And we'll praise you. In his name we pray. Stand with me. Heads bowed, please, for a moment. Let's sing a stanza so of... Of I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Do you really, do you really want to magnify Christ? What do they see in your life as an individual? What do they see in your life out there on the job, on the campus, on your dates as teenagers? What do they see? What do they see the places you go? Are you publicizing Christ? Are you letting others see him? What about your attitudes at home? What about your relationship with family members, with a brother, sister, or relationship with a mother and father? Are you publicizing Christ? Are you personalizing Christ? Are you patronizing Christ? Oh, no wonder life is so meaningless and empty when we fail to fulfill the very purpose God created us for, and that's to glorify it. Your life's going to be empty until it finds that evidence. God help us. Tonight as we sing, maybe you've realized that Christ is not really being seen in your life. You're not really magnifying. You're not really lifting him up. And you need to come and say, oh God, I commit anew my life to you. 
I want you to be magnified in my life for others to see you. And maybe you're here tonight and you're unsaved. You need Christ as your Savior. Oh, how you need him. And maybe you need to come to the fellowship of this church. If so, I'm going to ask you to come. Father, give us grace. Do what we ought to do now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing it together. I surrender all. Lead us, Carl. As God speaks to your heart, you come now, will you? Are you magnifying him? Are you magnifying him? Are you simply calling all the attention to yourself? Men see you, do they see Christ? world for him to be glorified is for you to surrender. Surrender to him. Let's bow our heads together. How many of you join me by an uplifted hand to say, Brother Walter, preacher, listen. Oh, how I want to magnify Christ in my life. And I'm willing to be taught by his spirit through his word that men and women will see Jesus in my life. That's my inmost desire. And I want, I want him to be magnified in the way I live, the way I talk, my actions, my reactions. I want people to see Jesus in my life. I want to just raise my hand tonight to God and say, Lord, help me to be a magnifier of you. How many of you joined me just for slipping your hand up? Great, big and high. Do you really mean that? I believe you do. God bless you. Father, thank you. Thank you for thy word. Oh, how it trims us and blisters us sometimes when we realize how far short we fall. But Lord, I've found out a long time ago that life has its fullness when we are what we ought to be for you and when we are the person we should be and when we're fulfilling the purpose you have for us to glorify Christ. Our life is miserable when we're not glorifying you, when we're centered on self and all of our desires and wants instead of yielding ourselves to thee. Now Lord, we've got a big week ahead of us here and I pray that the Holy Spirit will do a great and wondrous work in our hearts. May, Father, you give victory. And may we see souls won to Christ this week, hearts blessed. And I'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen.